Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. I'm glad to spend the morning with our guests and listeners in our weekly show, Taking Care of Business. Last week, uh, as you remember, we were broadcasting live from Rosso Coffee Roasters. I'm positive you guys were able to hear in the background clients making orders, baristas having small talk, and, uh, of course, uh, the coffee machines, the noisy coffee machines preparing the uh, client's orders. Today, we're also live on location. We're broadcasting from a tax advisory office. If you listen carefully, you may hear a pen drop or someone flipping paper reviewing some tax issues. My guest this morning is co-founder and director of Canadian Tax Advisory with Moody's Gartner Tax Law. I'm not sure that every time we hear the word entrepreneur, we think about uh, accounting or tax law. However, the reasons we're here uh, is twofold. Firstly, a private tax advisory and tax law firm is built by entrepreneurs. And secondly, and Kim, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it seems to me that many of your clients are entrepreneurs. That's correct. Good morning, Kim, and thank you for hosting us at your office. Thank you. Um, Before we dive into uh, knowing you better, I have one question. Sure. Um, Do most of uh, Moody's Gardner entrepreneurs become clients before or after they meet the tax guy? (laughs) I'd say a mixture of both. Uh, for some reason, I had to guess that some guys come here only when the problem is in their face. That's very true. Oftentimes, it's too late. And I'm sure you'll try to convince us to come before. Absolutely. Will. <laughs> yeah. um, so let me introduce Kim uh, Moody a little bit. Uh, Kim's main area of expertise is tax uh, and estate planning for the owner-manager of private corporations, executives, professional athletes, and other uh, high net worth individuals. He has served in multiple roles with the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners, in short, STEP, um, Canada branch, including as chair, deputy chair, treasurer, and uh, on the STEP Canada Technical Committee. Kim is a graduate of University of Lethbridge and earned his tax and estate practitioner designation in 1998. In past several years, he, he has received the STEPS Founder Award for Outstanding Achievement, Queen Elizabeth's Diamond Jubilee Medal, and the Fellow of the Chartered Accountants of Alberta Resignation. Kim is the author of numerous articles, papers, blog posts, and courses on tax and estate planning, and he has lectured extensively for a number of organizations on all those issues. Uh, Kim is the past pre- uh, chair of the Canadian Tax Foundation and a current tax instructor for the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Alberta's Professional Development Program. Married to Vivian, Vivian, and a proud father of four boys. That's right. Oh, what ages? 21, 18, 15, and uh, 12, and I'm rounding up on some of those. Okay, so I guess you have a long way of working ahead of you. They're still on the payroll. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So, um, Kim, let's start covering some of your personal information. Um, You know, while I was uh, preparing uh, the show, 
the uh, information that I received was that your life started at the University of Lethbridge, yep. which uh, for some reason seems to me that uh, it started a little bit earlier than that. <laughs> uh, so um, where are you from? I was born in uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, which uh, is one of Canada's uh, uh, provinces. And uh, and then I was raised in Fort McMurray, which is Canada's capital of the oil sands. I see. So what, what age were you when you moved from uh, Saskatchewan to Alberta to Fort McMurray? Uh, I think I was right around five years old. So you don't remember much from Saskatchewan? No, I, I, a little bit. Not not a ton. My my prime memories are from Fort McMurray. Okay, so um, you remember it was cold. Oh, yes. Both yeah. places. Both places were cold, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, our, our studio is in Phoenix, and they're kind of suffering from a heat. Can you share with them what kind of temperatures we had uh, or you had in Fort Mac or in uh, Saskatchewan? Well, the worst would be around uh, minus 40 Fahrenheit, which is the same as uh, Celsius. That's when they, they meet. <laughs> and so uh, that's pretty bloody cold. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So uh, growing up in Fort Mac, um, that was like, it, it wasn't as big as today at that time. No, it was a... It was around 35, 40,000 people. Uh, today, it's, it, it's a lot bigger. Yeah. But. What do you remember from growing up in a place that sun doesn't go down in the summer and sun doesn't come up in the winter? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very true. Um, I, I remember a lot of fun. I remember a town that was very young and vibrant. Uh, lots of uh, opportunity. And I remember my father uh, and mother, for that matter, uh, taking advantage of some of the opportunities and, and my dad that's where I got my first taste of, of business my dad was uh, uh, you know very much an entrepreneur and he st- he noticed that the town was uh, entertainment starved not not a lot to do up there uh, yeah. unless you're an outdoorsman um, and even today it, it's very much that way there's just not a lot to do unless you're an outdoorsman so he started uh, the first go-kart track in, in Fort McMurray and that uh that was very, very successful and, and uh, got my taste of business uh, So inter- age. entrepreneurship runs in the family? Runs in the family, yeah. By the way, how many siblings do you have? There's six of us all together and, and of my siblings, uh, I think four of us are entrepreneurs. Oh, wow. What so, kind of industry? Actually, five of us are entrepreneurs. Um, well, my sister, uh, my oldest sister owns a bakery uh, at, the, uh, at the farmer's market in Calgary. For any Calgary listeners, uh, they'll be familiar with that. And uh, my oldest, or sorry, one of my brothers is, uh, he has a bottle depot. And my other brother uh, is, uh, he, he does a whole bunch of uh, entrepreneurial kind of things. And, and then one of my sisters, my younger sisters, uh, owns a bunch of rental properties and, and uh, is always looking for opportunities. <laughs> and then my other sister, who's not an entrepreneur, is a teacher in Edmonton. So. I see. Um, so she is the black sheep of the family. Yeah, she very much is. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll forgive her. So growing up in Fort Mac, what kind of a kid were you? Were you like a book uh, worm or? Uh, I was a nerd as always. But you know, you, you read tax issues already at age ten. I, I was uh, always the kid that wanted to get great marks and uh, study and always be the perfect kid. And you know, if my siblings are listening, they'll they'll certainly realize that. Uh, that I was the favorite son and, uh, you know, the smartest son. <laughs> what, what do you mean was? You still are. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I just met your mom two weeks ago. You are the favorite son. <laughs> and if mom, you're listening, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I was always uh, an entrepreneurial kid even back then. Um, 
you know, I had a paper route, which actually was pretty good, pretty good experience for learning about business. Um, it's different than paper routes today. As a kid back then, you had to actually uh, go get your own subscribers and, and collect your own money. So, you know, cash was king. Yeah. As as in any business, cash is king. And I remember uh, struggling to collect the uh, subscriptions and getting mad at the ones that wouldn't pay me. <laughs> so, and how did you deal with that? Uh, you know, you had friends. <laughs> I had friends who had friends. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So, um, you know, you you, you describe a paper route, and and uh, it's not funny to do it in Fort Mac at minus let's say minus, call it minus 30. It doesn't have to be minus 40. Yeah. Um, and, and in the dark. And So how did you, how did it work? How did you struggle to do that? Well, it was a lot of hard work, as it always is. Uh, you know that being in business. But uh, some of the times when, I, you know, I figured I could uh, hire some kids to uh, to do my paper out for me. So that was my first experience with leverage. I see. <laughs> And did you supply them with any communication so you can control their routes? <laughs> <laughs> Back then, there was no such thing as cell phones, so oh, the, the short answer is no. <laughs> I see. <laughs> so you, you described that you kind of been a, a geek, a nerd. Uh, you lo- love to read. You love to to uh, to know stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, you said that your family will attest to it. Will the, your teachers and friends attach to uh, attest to it? I think so. Yeah. I think if they remember the the little short mouthy punk that I was. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, that's the only way I survived. I was a pretty small guy back then, and uh, didn't have a lot of, a lot of height nor a lot of weight. So uh, the way you survive is by being mouthy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that's what they will remember. They'll remember that, and I think they'll remember, uh, you know, somebody that that uh, that was always a pretty decent student. Took my my studies very very seriously. Um. So you decide to go to university once you, and you still lived in Fort McIntyre University. You no, graduated we, high school there or not? No, high school we moved to a little town called Wetaskiwin, which is just south of Edmonton, Edmonton. and uh, and uh, went to university. Uh, finished high school there, graduated high school, and then uh, went to University of Lethbridge. You know, it, it, a lot of people ask me why did I go to Lethbridge, uh, and uh, because it's, it's quite a small university. Well, back then it had. Uh, it was advertising that had the strongest accounting school in the country um, vis-a-vis pass rates for the uniform final exam for chart accountants, which is a you know, very, very tough exam. And uh, so I, I thought, well, then I better go to the best school. So I went and turns out that the pass rates were a bit of a blip. <laughs> But in any event, it was a great school and uh, still very proud of, of going there. So when did you realize and, and decide that you were want to go and study accounting uh, not, not a lot of kids at, at 17 or 18 kind of make that decision you know that's a uh, there's two events that I remember uh, one was uh, we used to have this adding machine and I'm sure you all remember the adding machine tapes and and uh, you know when my dad had the go-kart track you'd always have to add up the cash receipts and what have you and So that that job was given to me for various various things, you know, adding up the expenses and adding up the cash. And I used to love, you know, tapping out the like I'm doing on the table right now, tapping out the adding machine. And I was always pretty good at it, so that became my job. And uh, and then so I got intrigued by numbers then, and I was always really good at math as well. But and then the second thing that intrigued me was, uh, which they don't do this anymore, but the 
Institute of Chartered Accountants of Alberta did a little high school presentation. Mm. And so in Wetaska, they came to uh, to do a presentation about what the profession of accounting is. And, and they, whoever it was that did the presentation had me hooked. It was almost, uh, they had me at hello. Oh, wow. So it was a pretty powerful little hook. So, um, so they probably didn't send an accountant. They said they sent probably a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it was a live CA that they sent. But for some reason, this, this CA was uh, somebody that didn't stare at their shoes, as the old cliche says. <laughs> they, they were actually pretty good and had me. And I think that, uh, you know, what you shared with us about uh, you doing the numbers for the go-kart and collecting the money, that's another proof that you are the preferred kid, right? I, absolutely, Mom, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> uh, I see. Um, it's interesting that you spent all your uh, childhood and then youth uh, in small communities. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wetaskiwin is also small. Very Smaller small. than Fort Mac. Yeah, uh, Wetasco, and even today is, uh, just going off memory here, probably somewhere around 10,000 people. Uh, I might be a little off on that. but Yeah, I'm, probably 12. Yeah, so. So, when did you move to the big city? Uh, after I finished uh, my undergrad at University of Lethbridge, so I moved to Calgary, and I've been in Calgary ever since. And so, why Calgary? If everybody was still in Wetasco, or the... The family moved over. The family was still based out of Wetaskiwin, yeah. Um, but some, my older sibling, uh, and there's four of us that are roughly the same age, like one bang, 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 bang. And we had all moved away from Wetaskiwin, but my younger siblings and my uh, mom and dad were still in Wetaskiwin. But there's really, my thought was to uh, move to Calgary or uh, just because it provided more opportunity to, to, to learn about the profession and, and to grow. What year was it? 92. 92. Yeah. And um, how many people were living in Calgary? Do you remember? 92. Because it was four years after the Olympics in 88. They estimated 550,000 people lived here. 2003 or four, we got to a million. So Yeah, I'm going to say somewhere around 650 to 700,000. That would be my guess. Mm. So you have your diploma uh, as uh, as a state and, and, and tax. Uh, yeah. Inter- uh, that's society. Practitioners, yes. Yep. Practitioner. And you get the diploma, you come to the big city, what's the first step? Well, just, just to clarify a bit, I, the diploma I got was actually a chart accountant. Mm-hmm. So that was the first one I got. And then the registered trust and state practitioner was post-diploma. Mm-hmm. So, so I got that because uh, I got my CA in 94 and then registered trust and state practitioner in 98. Um, so in 94, what's the first step? Uh, well... <laughs> Uh, I remember uh, when I got my CA, it was a proud moment for me, my wife, my my, uh, my family. Uh, but for me personally, it was, okay, what's the next step? And I remember I remember chatting with my wife and, and thinking, okay, well, I got to figure out how I'm going to be a partner of this firm. And if there's no path to partnership, then, then I got to get out and do something. So when you say this firm, where did you work after you got a, you moved to Calgary and kind of... There's a, there's a small... Uh, firm that I worked for is an entrepreneurial firm. It's it's no longer around, but uh, back in the day, uh, it was known for its uh, its tax strength, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I I got some training there. And but one of the most boldest things I did, and, and in hindsight, it was probably pretty dumb. But uh, as I went into the partner's office after I got my CA within two weeks and said, "Am I going to be a partner of this firm?" 
and he's and he smiled at you and he smiled at me as any good partner would do and and he said uh, well yeah you know if you work hard and you put your time in you know the usual standard line and I said okay well when and he didn't give me a when and so I said all right and I'm exaggerating a little bit here but I just said there's my resignation and uh, so I resigned and uh, started my own firm with a with a partner and in hindsight that was pretty naive but but was good okay perfect so we'll get uh, more to uh, your uh, entrepreneurship uh, after the break we have to go now on a break now that we know you better we know where you come from and uh, you know where you spent your childhood and youth and uh, and how you got to become uh, you know a, a CA uh, we will take a break now. Uh, it's our first uh, commercial break. And um, make sure to open a new tab and check uh, www.moodiesgartner.com. Check out uh, their blog. Find out uh, what they're doing, what you are doing wrong in, when, with the tax guy and your estate planning. And we'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
We're back with our guest, uh, Kim Moody, co-founder and director of Canadian Tax Advisory, Moody's Gartner uh, Tax Law. And, and I love this show for the simple reason that you just got two texts from your siblings that they think they are preferred kids. So <laughs> I love to steer the pot. <laughs> so yeah, Thanks, David. I'm going to pay the price for that for sure. Yeah, probably on the weekend, you know, Canada Day is coming. You'll get together the whole family and there will be a fist fight. Yeah, probably. Perfect. Before we go into the uh, your experience and starting your own company, so tax. Yes. There's not something common between accountants that I know, and I work with a few accountants, and yep. I know a few people that work with other accountants. Why did you choose tax? Was it uh, because it's an untouched territory by most people, or was it something you kind of got, you, you, you were passionate about? Well, that's a great question. The, uh, you know, the, the, the first, I guess the easy answer was that back then, 20-some years ago, uh, you know, when you talk about tax, the instant um, the instant thing you think about is accountants no tax, and so I thought, well, this is a pretty tough area. It's pretty challenging. I like it, and therefore I'm going to do it. What I didn't realize back then, which I know now, is that tax is probably the most difficult subject area, bar none. You know, Albert Einstein is famous for saying that there's no, uh, there's nothing more complex than the income tax. Um, you know, some people debate whether or not he said that. I, I think he did. Uh, and the bottom line is, is it's tough. And as you and I have chatted privately, there's not a lot of accountants, regardless of the fact that that most people think accountants know tax and will do tax returns. Um, you know, there's not a lot of accountants that know tax, whether it's United States tax or Canadian tax or whatever tax it is. It is tough. Uh, and so why do I like it? Uh, and why did I enter into it? Um, I like a challenge, and anything that keeps the uh, the gray matter going for me is 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 good. Okay, so let's dive now. Our show is all about entrepreneurship, yeah. and let's dive into your first experience. Uh, you put your resignation letter, yeah. uh, whether it was a dumb decision or not. I think in hindsight, it was a smart decision, uh, <laughs> knowing you now for a few years and uh, knowing how successful you are. Um, so. The first step after you put the resignation letter, or, or did you make any steps before you put the resignation letter? Well, the steps that I put in place, there's a, a colleague of mine, a fellow by the name of, uh, you might know him actually, Arun Sequera, who's out of Edmonton. Uh, he's a really good guy. But in any event, uh, he had approached me to see whether or not uh, uh, I would be interested in starting a partnership with him. And so that was the first step was... You know, uh, so I exaggerate a bit when I say I went in and, and and put the resignation letter on. I had a bit of a plan. Yeah. And and the plan was more than just a bit of a plan. It was this is what we're going to do if I don't hear the right answer. Because of course, I wanted to stay at that firm that I was at to to help it grow. But if I didn't hear the right answer, or didn't hear a plan, well, I had another plan. Yeah. And so that's what that's what I did. An accountant with a plan? Wow, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Don't tell, don't tell the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first, you know, that was the first step is, is, you know, uh, had the plan, we decided how we're going to do it. And if I didn't hear the right answer, I was going to resign. And then uh, we did it. Yeah. So you started with the, uh, your friend from Edmonton. Yes. So you had one office in Calgary, one in Edmonton. No, he at guys... the time was in Calgary. Oh, I see. Yeah. So um, for how long this partnership was holding to kind of... Um, I think we lasted about three years, and then we uh, we were actually 
we were more successful than we anticipated. And so that required a... In what fashion? Uh, just more business, like the, mm -hmm. the appetite for what we were trying to do, which is to provide tax services along with some business consulting and valuation services was, was greater than we anticipated. We, when we started out, we started out working uh, out of our basements in our respective homes. We lived a couple blocks away mm -hmm. from each other. And, uh, you know, the, we quickly grew out of that and we needed some staff and we needed a permanent place to meet clients. And, and after three years that, you know, that was kind of a, a come to Jesus moment, if you want to call it that. And we had to either get some permanent space and, at, you know, we decided uh, after the end of three years that, that uh, he wanted to do his own thing and I wanted to actually keep building this thing. So, so that's what we did. He went and merged with another firm. And I uh, went on my own at that point, and the rest is history. And um, so, how old were you when you guys started your company? I was, so that was 94, and I'm 49, uh, 94, 26. 26. So, a 94, 26-year-old kid coming yeah. and saying, I'm a tax expert. I'm not so sure that a lot of people kind of bought into this. So, how did, well, you, get, how did you guys get your clientele? <laughs> Frankly, in hindsight, I'm not sure I <laughs> I believed it, but I thought I did naively. Because but. if you ask the person, the, 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 you know, Joe Blow about who, picture an accountant, I don't think they will picture a 26-year-old tax expert. No, they won't. And frankly, uh, nobody should, because there is no such thing as a 26-year-old tax <laughs> expert even today. Um, so how did we get our clients? You know, a lot of it back then was just, uh, and, and it, it's true even today, it's trust. You know, it's it's about knowing your boundaries, knowing what you can do, and it's all you know, client service, and that's a much trumpeted and much overused phrase, client service. But it's true. You know, make sure that you can empathize with your clients. And for me, being a 26-year-old punk that had no idea what the hell I was doing, you know, there's a lot of clients that don't know what the hell they're doing either. Mm -hmm. uh, and and from that perspective, we can empathize with each other. And the constant touch, I would always touch my clients. Like back then, email was a brand new thing. Right. So it was all about phone calls. And so I would constantly touch my clients with phone calls, you know, strategic phone calls, not, hey, how you doing? Uh, you want to go for coffee? Yeah. You know, it was much more strategic than that. Mm -hmm. um, well, so, when you, you when you talk about strategic, what do you mean? Give me give us an example of how would you touch a client then or today on a strategic level? Because if if I open every sales book, every CEO book, yeah. touching clients is one of the chapters. No question. And you hit the, the nail on the head here. Yeah. So give us examples. Well, for for an accountant and, and for you know a tax guy like me, I mean, once I've got the client records, you know. To actually spend time with those records and and look at the history, but more importantly, try to project where they're heading. And so, where are they heading? And ultimately, are they heading in the right direction in terms of you know is their legal structure correct? Uh, have their past filings been done correctly? Is there better positions we could take? So you know things like that. You know, make a little list of, of opportunities. Clients never want to hear bad news. Uh, really? Really? Yeah. Nobody but, told me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they want to hear opportunities. And yes. so my strategic list, you know, when, before I pick up the phone would always be, let's, let's, let's see if we can talk to them about X, Y, Z. And, hey, Mr. Client or Ms. Client, uh, let's just take a look at your records. Um, 
you know, I think there might be a decent opportunity to restructure here and save some tax. You know, something like that. Something generic that, mm -hmm. that was real, not manufactured. Right. Um, because a lot of people can tell that, you know, um, uh, whether it's BS or not, right? But if it's legitimate, if you can empathize with it, uh, and if, if, it, if it's uh, real, you know, clients will definitely spend the time with you, and that's how so, I. So I your did. approach, if I can understand it right, if I understand it right, is your approach is not just do the books of the previous years and you know file it to the tax guy, but also forward thinking. Absolutely, and uh, a lot of accountants today, and a lot of accountants don't like me saying this, but uh, you know, a lot of accountants today, it, it's just in and out, in and out. Get the returns done here, come sign here. There's your stickers, blah blah blah. That's just that's a commodity, right? There, that that's a commodity-based practice, whereas most clients, it, it, I always say, because uh, I lecture on this topic quite a lot, you know, it's like going to get your teeth cleaned, right? Do you, you need to go get your teeth cleaned because it's basic health, right? It's going to help your overall health in in a lot of different ways. But do you really like getting your teeth cleaned? Well, for me, I hate it. No, but I, but, but I, I know have, I. I have a hot stationer, so, yes. yeah, so I, uh, I go there. <laughs> I want to talk to you offline. <laughs> I'm kidding, Vivian, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, but in any event, um, um, it, it, you know, are you really going to be choosy about who you go to uh, yeah. to get your teeth cleaned? No. Uh, I think if you're to be honest with yourself, the yeah. answer is no. But are you going to be really choosy, for example, uh, if you're going to have heart surgery? Um, no question. I want to know that the person is 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 qualified. They've had a success rate, et cetera, et cetera. So, long story short, is is commodity-based practices, which a lot of accountants have, um, are a dime a dozen, and really price becomes the competitor, mm -hmm. or sorry, the differentiator. Yeah. Uh, whereas in a value-based practice, price is not the differentiator. And if it is, you know, if the client views it to be, then. You know, they should probably seek some some other person. So let's go back to um, your first partnership, and it was uh, a partnership based on two people. Yeah. How how did you make decisions? Who was the decision maker? How did you kind of decide who was responsible for what? Why 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 did you become a partner with this particular person? Was there a value that he brought that different than yours? Give us the... No, that's, that's a great question. In my situation, the fellow was older than me, had more experience than me, and he had done this before. And so he was wiser than me. He was probably 10 years my senior, not maybe, maybe not quite 10 years. And so, you know, there was a lot of, uh, I deferred a lot to his wisdom uh, in making decisions, but ultimately the way that we made decisions was consensus. We had to have a consensus. If, if it ever got to a situation where we couldn't come to consensus, mm -hmm. then because he was older, wiser, had more money in the firm, which is the way that it happened, uh, then ultimately it would default to him. Um, I which think it, you felt? Um, I didn't like that, obviously, right? And that's usually one of the the collapses of, of a part of a small partnership like that uh, is that you know a consensus-based model where there's an ultimate hammer or 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 a veto right where the smaller partner is you know uh, diminished has a diminished voice that has a limited life um, now is there a perfect model 
No. Yeah. Like even in my practice today, we've got uh, there's seven of us, um, and I can tell you, it's it's tough to get consensus on on a lot of issues. So a lot of times it's it's majority rules. Majority rules, but as I always say, I mean, if if you have to default to majority, uh, then you got a leadership problem. Yeah, the the leadership, which I consider myself to be one of the leaders, uh, you know, should be doing their homework to make sure that ultimately they can build consensus. If it comes to a debate on everything, then you've you've got a bad model. Mm-hmm. And for us, as we continue to grow, consensus just can't work, right? It, you've got to get to a more CEO type model where right. the CEO is making the uh, day-to-day making, decisions. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first partnership uh, dissolves and you go on your own or you oh get God, to, yeah. okay, for how long? Uh, for almost five years I was on my own and then I started adding partners uh, because when you're on your own, you know, you get to a so-called ceiling of complexity as I call it and which I've borrowed that phrase from another group, but uh, you can only grow so far, right? Uh, and so I brought on partners to try and break through that and, mm-hmm. and ultimately expand and do other things. So, And that's uh, Boulay and Chikazi? That was Boulay and Chikazi, good memory. So one of, so I had a couple partners, one Mr. Boulay, another one Mr. Chikazi. So the three of us grew a firm and uh, and then ultimately we ended up merging it with a national firm. So before you, we talk about the merger, um, which I'll bring up shortly, um, but um, you mentioned you started your own firm, then you started adding partners. So you go back to that model of decisions by committee and not, you know, you were a king in your own kingdom for a while. Yep. And uh, so how did it kind of transition from being my the, owner, the sole decision maker back into the committee model? You know, that would, it, it, it's tough, but there's this realization that you can't grow unless you um, hear other views, other points of views, and and uh, and sometimes do some, do some things that you're not comfortable with. Get out of your comfort zone. And so, yeah, it was tough to go back to that kind of model, but it, it was it was done with full realization that uh, that hey, if we're going to make some mistakes along the way. Um, I certainly don't know everything. Um, I've made lots of mistakes as I grow, so let's make the mistakes together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, let's let's win together. So you can well. blame them if Absolutely. there's a mistake. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, makes it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you go for a few years together as as a partnership, yeah. and, and then, um, which was surprising, you guys decide to join a bigger firm, a national or a international national. Uh, national. national. Um, which was a surprise uh, to some of the people that know you in this market. So what what led to this decision? Um, in my practice, or sorry, our practice, um, you know, it's, it's tough. There's lots of uh, things that change. Tax legislation changes, and, and back then, you know, Enron had collapsed which resulted in a whole bunch of accounting rule changes and you know I don't know much about accounting anymore I only know tax and so my my accounting partners Mr. Boulay and Mr. Shikazi were really clamoring for expertise on that side and our and our clients which were growing and growing growing clients needed that expertise so ultimately a lot of that was led to the fact that these national firms had that expertise and so it was a a way to obtain knowledge quickly and what I thought easily uh, for me personally, it was not a great decision. 
and so… Uh, so that decision uh, was uh, consensus or majority? At that point it was majority. Um, I was, you know… Voted um, out. It, pretty much and so I was dragged. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, some people have, you know, I've had some uh, coaches tell me along the way that, well, okay, so you didn't want to go in. Uh, so you didn't burn your ships, eh? I had no idea what that phrase meant until I realized it was a historical reference. But, um, but the way the coach explained it to me was, if you uh, if you looked at the merger as 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 an island and you brought your ships to that island, uh, you didn't pour gasoline over the ships and burn them. Uh, I always had an escape route. I had a, I had another boat and and I did, and so ultimately I didn't last very long in the merger, whereas my other partners lasted uh, for a while. So you left uh, before the handcuffs uh, were off or uh, <laughs> during the handcuff period? During the handcuff period I left, yeah. It, it's an interesting question that I want to ask you because um, I, I see a lot of strug- entrepreneurs struggle and we have only a minute, but let's try. How did it feel with a bear hug of a big company over a local company that with a local culture? That was tough. Uh, it was really tough um, because ultimately now it was centralized decision making uh, with very little input from the minions and, I, and now I was a minion, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that my voice wasn't heard uh, really was a struggle. Perfect. Thank you. Um, we have to, you know, we reached our second commercial break. Um, you were afraid, well, 18 minutes to an hour, what do I have to say? Well. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that you'll have more to say when we come back. So once again, open a new tab, uh, log in to uh, moodysgardener.com, follow them on Twitter, connect with them on LinkedIn, and sign up for their news blog so uh, you really can uh, know what you're doing wrong with your tax guy and uh, need some help. And we will be back here on the other side of the commercials. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with our guest, uh, Kim Moody of Moody's Gardeners, Gardner Tax Law, for the home stretch of our show, uh, Taking Care of Business. So, Kim, uh, before we uh, went into commercial, we talked about the transition from uh, a local partnership into a bigger company and that you felt very uncomfortable. And you mentioned uh, mentor. And, and I want to ask you so, over the years, uh, with all the experience you had, you know, working one company, then a partnership, then on your own partnership again. Did you use mentors? Did you use any kind of uh, group kind of uh, support, CEO support teams or, or anything oh, of no, that kind? No question. Uh, have a, uh, have a number of mentors and I know that you and I share some of them as, as friends and what have you, but, the, but as formal coaching, uh, I'm a big believer and there's a, there's a group called uh, um, Strategic Coach, um, which I've been a member of for 20 years. And effectively, essentially what it is, is uh, a group of uh, like-minded entrepreneurs that get together every every four months, uh, sorry, three months. And uh, the coaches have an agenda and we go through. And, and I can tell you that discipline uh, of, of getting together every three months, setting my goals, my lifetime goals, and then measuring progress and being accountable to the group and being accountable to, to my team and to my partners has been huge. Uh, just, you know, how many people do you know, David? I'll turn the, uh, the tables on you here. How many people do you know actually write down their goals? Um, uh, you, you probably do, but uh, is there a lot of them? I know a lot of people that write down their goals. I don't know a lot of people that are accountable for their own goals. Right. So New Year's is a great example, right? Oh, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. But, you know, within two weeks, they're not accountable and you fall off. Well, for me, strategic coach has been uh, has been that accountability, and, uh, and and I can tell you, I would have never had the progress nor success uh, without the support of my family. For number one, uh, but number two, without the support of, of like-minded entrepreneurs who who hold you accountable to your goals. And, and you're still part of that group yep. today. Yeah. Okay. And there's other other coaching that I've had throughout the years, but that by far has been the most consistent. And so you have co- the, the team that is a coaching team, and then you have mentors that you kind of use yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, so uh, you uh, leave again the uh, you leave the company that you didn't like because uh, it doesn't fit your what you want to do when you grow up, and uh, so you start Moody's again, right? Start Moody's, yeah. And and when you started Moody's, did you have set up mission, vision, purpose, Absolutely. goals. So share with us the process of, of preparing those. Did you do it before or after you started and you had a few employees and you needed to be everybody on the same bus? No, it started before. And my uh, my thought was, 
uh, when I started, I wanted to make bloody sure that this was the last time. <laughs> At least that's the You're thought. still young. <laughs> yeah. um, but, and so I knew that I probably needed a line of credit and I'd had to apply for a line of credit, notwithstanding my history. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to be proactive here and do a business plan. And I'm going to start with, you know, mission, vision, culture, et cetera. And so I built a business plan and I had it all, you know, uh, you know, the soft stuff, as I call it, which is important. You know, what is the vision? What's the goals? Um, and then the numbers, you know, uh, budgets, projections, uh, et cetera. And where am I going to get these clients from? And how am I going to service them? And how am I going to keep them happy? So I had a whole section on that. And then a whole section on what's the landscape today? Who's my competitors? So-called SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, yeah. threats. And and I had that all built into a 43-page uh, business plan, and uh, I still have it today, and I've shared it with all my uh, partners. And yes, it's changed a little bit, but the foundation hasn't changed much at all. So you do adjustments. Absolutely. And, and if I go out now from our boardroom, yeah, and I ask the employees what are their mission, vision, called the purpose of this company, yeah. core values. Well, you they, think you think they will know, or they will they, get fired if they don't know? <laughs> they better get fired if they don't know, because we have we hold uh, at minimum uh, once a year team strategy sessions, where all that material is shared, and there's takeaway, and we ask for buy-in and buy you know buy out. You know, if they don't buy in, then maybe it's not the right fit. But um, so so, do you have those strategy sessions with the entire company? We do. Uh, we and we hold them with partners as well every three months. Uh, so our last one was uh, May the 8th that we had. Uh, it's an off-site that we go and talk about all this stuff, make sure that we're on the right track, and what's our goals for the next 90 days, and then we hold minimum once a year with the entire team. And how important is it for handling growth or getting direction to have those strategies? Oh, it's, it's critical in my, in my view, because if you're yeah, if you just throw together a business and expect you're, you're, that you're going to be able to have uh, teammates, you know, teammates want a purpose, you know, where there's no obvious purpose and, and path, you know, it, it's kind of like going to, uh, you know, XYZ fast food. They just want a job, they want to collect some cash, and then they're out. But the people that we want are people that want to achieve a mission, a purpose, and help us achieve our vision. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that uh, doing those uh, strategic sessions with the entire company and especially every, you said every quarter, with the partners help you, um, you know, bring those core values, mission, vision from the wall to the office? No, no question. Yeah, and we're not perfect about it. I don't think anybody is, but, but every three months allows us to just look at that and say, do we still believe this? Are we sure we believe this? Because I haven't seen us walk that talk recently. Um, if we still believe it, then here's some things we need to do to adjust that. Or if we don't believe it, maybe we should scrap this and, and go to something else. So it, it's critical to do that. And do you use an outside facilitator? or Sometimes you- we do, yeah. Most of the times we don't uh, because we're pretty disciplined in terms of what our agenda is and, and what our what our purpose or vision, mission, purpose is. But I can tell you when we first, you know, with our current batch of partners, uh, uh, you know, we, we used a number of facilitators to help us get there. Because mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, using me. It's not about Kim Moody. 
it's about the firm, about the team. And, you know, in a professional services firm, there's too many firms, especially small, that are about, you know, Mr. X or Ms. Y. And those firms have a limited shelf life, frankly, in my view. You know that this program is recorded and people oh, yeah. that work here will show you that. Absolutely. Will remind you that it's not about you anymore. That's right. <laughs> it's not. And I do try to say that. Um, easier said than done in many cases. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you guys involved in any community activity uh, or charity as a, as a company, as a group? Is it important for you? Is it important to the employees or just to you? Uh, the short answer is yes, we are, uh, and yes, it's extremely important. Uh, I think when you get to a, I don't care what size you are, but, you know, when the community, whether it's your, like in our case, I, I view community as two aspects. One is is the professional community, the, uh, you know, the, we're a law firm uh, that has lawyers and accountants. I'm one of the accountants. I think it's extremely important to give back to the community that has afforded us the ability to make a decent living. So we give back a lot to the legal profession and to the accounting profession. So that's the first aspect is we're always giving back to those professions. But it's also important to give back to the community in, at, at large that has afforded us the ability to, to, to have our business. And so in Calgary here, for example, uh, and in Edmonton, we give back to a number of charities that, uh, that we feel are important. In particular, we give back to a, a small little micro charity, uh, Project Warmth, that uh, you know gives clothing to, to the to effectively the working homeless. Uh, and it's a very small charity that's underfunded and but serves a very important need. So we do a lot of fundraisers. I think you attended one of our fundraisers a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and, and I want to ask you, uh, first of all, I, I realized that you just said uh, at the beginning of this answer that uh, when it comes to charity, size doesn't matter. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I attended uh, uh, your last uh, charity event with my wife, and we uh, really enjoyed it. But the question I have for, for you is, so what was the talk the next morning or the feeling the next morning in the office between the, your, your employees that participated and helped and did all the heavy lifting, like in terms of culture, in terms of morale in the office, what was the talk the next morning? Except of calling me because they needed my credit card, of course. <laughs> yeah, they needed your credit card for the donation on the silent auction that, yeah. you, uh, that you wanted. That I lost, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Certainly, the feedback that I heard directly was uh, uh, was that, "Hey, this is this is really worthwhile." Um, number one, it was fun because we tried to make it a fun event, uh, and number two, uh, we which raised you the money. danced solo, <laughs> Shh, quiet to the song. <laughs> Can you mention the song? I can't even remember. Was it? Uh, I'm too sexy or something yeah. like that. <laughs> a sexy tax account. Yeah, yeah. Who, who would have thunk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that video is not available online, by the way. <laughs> uh, but in any event, uh, you know, besides the usual, hey, this is fun, this is, uh, I expect that kind of feedback. Uh, the feedback that really warms my heart is, is, hey, we raised X amount of dollars for charity, which in this case we raised uh, almost $14,000 for charity uh, for Project Warmth, which makes a big difference for them. So uh, that kind of feedback uh, tells me that we're on the right track. Um, well, I don't know if you noticed, but we're getting kind of very close to the end of the show, and oh. you're afraid that you won't have uh, <laughs> <laughs> that an hour. Yeah, no, no, I said an hour. So, if you had 
to give advice today to someone who wants to start their business and someone who wants to be an entrepreneur when they grow up. What are the two or three positive experiences you had along the way that you'll say, if you do this, it will, you know, help you go over some hurdles or it will shorten the way to success or, or you will avoid doing mistakes? Well, that's, uh, that's a loaded question. So let me just, off the top of my head is do your homework, right? Don't, just because you think you have a good idea, uh, maybe you don't, right? Uh, I, I love entrepreneurs for the fact that they can take risks and they're, and they're comfortable taking risks. But if you've got a family and if you've got people that rely on you, uh, make sure that your risks are very calculated. Uh, there's nothing better to, to risk, you know, uh, and, and believe in yourself. Um, but make sure you're not taking stupid risks. Don't don't bet the farm on, on uh, you know, blackjack number seven, for example. Uh, did I even say that right? No, the roulette wheel is what I meant to say. The yeah. number seven. So that that's the first piece of advice: is do your homework. Number number two is is uh, uh, is is to do. Make sure that you get good advice, um, immediate advice, and ongoing advice. You're not the smartest person in the world. You might think you are, but you're just not. There's too much to know. So surround yourself with people who, who are smart, but know their limitations. Um, and for me, you know, I was lucky and fortunate enough to surround myself with a lot of people like that and, and had some great mentors along the way. And I could list them if you want to, but uh, so that'd be another piece of advice. Third piece of advice is, is uh, you know, when you start tasting uh, the cup of success, uh, don't 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 become so arrogant to think that uh, you know that 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 it's been all about you. It's been about your team. It's been about people that ultimately have contributed to that that success. So make sure you're you're very uh, generous on 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 dishing out praise, and not fake praise, but genuine praise. So so I'll give you an opportunity to invite. Two or three people for lunch, dead or alive, who would you invite? Uh, Steve Jobs, for one. Uh, love that guy. Uh, obviously, I never had the chance to meet him. Uh, and Winston Churchill would be another one. Yeah, and my wife. <laughs> you just got lucky. <laughs> um, my last question. Yeah. Uh, what is the one thing in your life you're proud of today? My family. That's a good question. Two, two, two in a row. <laughs> you get dinner tonight, a warm dinner. <laughs> uh, we reached the end of uh, today's episode of Taking Care of Business. I would like to thank our guest, Kim Moody, um, co-founder, director of Canadian Tax Advisory with Moody's Gardner Tax Law. Uh, Kim, I have to admit your passion for tax is fascinating. However, it's not contagious. <laughs> <laughs> it's not? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, Next Tuesday, we will host on our show George Brookman, CEO of West Canadian G- Digital Imagining. Imaging, sorry. Uh, we'll have the opportunity to learn from uh, and listen to a great businessman, volunteer, community activist, and a great story and joke te- jokes teller. Uh, we, we are in for a treat. Uh, before we end, I would like to thank Cassandra Hannison, our uh, responsible production assistant. Aaron Keller, our awesome engineer, and my executive producer, Winston Church, uh, Winston Price, you confused me. Uh, both uh, Aaron and Winston are suffering from the heat in uh, Phoenix and from the sun, and we'll send you some cold air from here. 
as I mentioned last week, we have reached six continents. Our listeners come from six continents. We hope one of you has a friend uh, or someone you know on the Antarctic uh, on the Antarctic uh, continent. Send them the link, and uh, we'll be happy to have them. I wish you all a per- uh, prosperous week, and I'll meet you here July 4th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.